Welcome to Humane Voices, the official podcast of the Humane Society of the United States. Gary and Austin here for another episode talking about the new presidency and its effect on animal welfare policy. Gary, new year, new administration, new memes of Bernie Sanders sitting in his lawn chair. Exciting times. Mittens. Yeah, I can I can feel that the new administration's energy has already impacted just just us, Austin, because it's in your voice. Like I think your voice has got even more bass in it than it usually does. Just because of the pure excitement. It's fresh, new pep in the step for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to all of our animal advocates that listened to our previous episode, we talked about how um, policies that we do in our work affect uh, animals at the state level. But now we are really excited to talk with subject matter experts in how federal legislation, how the new presidential administration is going to help protect animals. So we're joined today by two very special guests. Tracy Letterman, Vice President of Federal Affairs, and Keisha Sedlicek, Director of Regulatory Affairs at the Humane Society Legislative Fund. Thank you both so very much for sitting down to chat with us. It's so timely. It's perfect that we get a chance to just have a good conversation. Thank you Happy for having us. Welcome. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's just start off. Uh, maybe we could talk right at the start about your jobs. What is the work that you do? Tracy, why don't we begin with you? Well, as you said, I am the Vice President of Federal Affairs at the Humane Society Legislative Fund. And HSLF is an affiliate of the Humane Society of the United States. So we're the lobbying arm. And I work with Congress to encourage them to pass laws to protect animals. And then I also get to work with the executive branch, which includes the White House and federal agencies, such as the US Department of Interior and the US Department of Agriculture. And the federal agencies, their job is to implement and enforce the laws that Congress passes. So we're watching, we're making sure that they're doing their job and pointing out where they need to do more to protect animals. And Keisha? Yeah, so as Tracy said, we're lobbyists and I think oftentimes that has a bad connotation and people are kind of like, ooh. I want to clear the air. The swamp <laughs> creatures. I know. I, I, mean, I didn't know I was making so much money in, you know, getting paid right. by big, big folks. Um, yeah. So I want to just kind of clear the air on what that term actually means and how I view what I do. Um, and so to me, a lobbyist is someone who's an effective communicator advocating for issues that they are passionate about. And as Tracy said, you know, we are lucky enough that we get to talk to and advocate for animal protection with the administration and with Congress. And so I think that's how I like to frame up what I do is I advocate um, and communicate to diverse audiences about our priorities on animal welfare issues. And it's a really great point, too. Last week, when we spoke about state legislation, the relationship between our internal staff and those state representatives is more that they are so connected to their constituents, really listening to uh, what they have to say in their county, in their area. Is that similar or how is that similar and different to a lot of the work that you both are doing on Capitol Hill? We do find that members of Congress are very interested in what we have to say. And it's across the board, it's Democrats and Republicans, which is what's so nice about working on animal issues. And then, you know, the same with the administration. It can depend, and maybe we can get on into this a little bit more later, um, and how we worked with the Trump administration and the Obama administration, and how we hope to work uh, with the Biden administration. 
Yeah, I'll say at the federal level, they obviously care about their constituents. Um, you know, in talking to my, my friends and colleagues who lobby on the state level, it seems the biggest difference is um, how much of a direct connection you may have, um, especially at the staff level. Um, and so I think that like, it's always important. Animal issues are, I, I won't say rare in the fact that they're bipartisan, but they truly are bipartisan, regardless of what side you're on. Um, and that is why we're effective at what we do is we're able to use constituents to reach every representative and senator on our issues. So just out of curiosity, in the terms of the way sort of, um, you know, trends in the law and legislation sort of flow back and forth or influence each other, do you guys see the work that you're doing at the federal level? Do you see it sort of, quote, trickle down to the states where you see things that sort of like get picked up at the federal leg le legislative level, get picked up in individual states? Or or does sometimes it happen the other way around where a state yeah. will pick up something that, that will drive um, more interest at the federal level? That's, it's the, it's the reverse that we mm -hmm. often this on the state level, they can build momentum. And that is so helpful for us to say this state and this state and this state maybe have um, cage free uh, work with, you know, chickens. And then we can argue that this should be happening on the federal level and you should care, you know, Senator X, because mm -hmm state is doing this. Mm -hmm. state it, is there a good example of, of a case where, where that has sort of been been the sort of outcome where it's like you're able to sort of say, hey, look, don't get behind the eight ball here. States are already doing this. Like, what are we doing at the federal level and sort of been able to use that argument to move things ahead? So we're doing it right now with uh, puppies and mm. the standards for uh, dogs there are several states that have upgraded their state standards, Missouri, Ohio, Pennsylvania. And it is incredible to be able to go in an office in Pennsylvania and say, look at the great work your state is doing. And we wanna level the playing field. The breeders in Pennsylvania, they have to meet this high bar. The breeders around the country should be mm. the same standard. And are there particular issues that you lobby on? Is it mostly just companion animal, dog and cat issues, or is it a wider net? So it's much wider than that, but though oftentimes folks do think of us as, um, you know, an animal shelter and um, get confused there if they're not familiar with, with our organizations. Mm -hmm. But I will say we lobby the administration on a number of issues, including animal testing, companion animals, wildlife, equine, um, you know, everything that the Humane Society works on, there's a there's a hook on, on the federal level for the most part. And so of the 15 cabinet um, agencies, that, you know, for the, the president, we actually touch on at least 10 of them, including like ones that probably come to mind, like the Department of Agriculture and Department of Interior. But we also work with ones that people may not automatically think of, like the veteran Veterans Affairs, mm -hmm. as well as Department of Transportation. Um, so basically, there's a hook with every agency on the federal level on animals. Yeah, so just out of curiosity, like with the new administration coming in, like how, how much does sort of like administration changes sort of change the way that we work um, and, and the capacity to kind of get our agenda out there? Like, I mean, how is the Trump administration on animal, animal issues specifically? Maybe it would help if I um, back up a little bit and say that HSLF endorsed 
uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris during the presidential race. And it was based on their individual records mm-hmm. and to the Trump administration's poor performance on animal issues. So when you look at Biden's time in the Senate and as vice president under Obama, you see that he has a pretty strong animal protection record. And just to give you like a few quick examples, when he was in the Senate, he co-sponsored a number of bills to tackle animal fighting, to prohibit the slaughter of horses and downer cows. And he was a lead sponsor on a bill to prohibit trophy hunting Mm. captive animals. And then Harris also has a very strong animal protection record. So she co-sponsored legislation to crack down on uh, horse soaring, prohibit the trade of shamans, reduce wildlife trafficking. So our hope is that given their history, a Biden administration will care about the strong enforcement of animal protection laws. And then if I could then go to your first question about the Trump administration. So I just want to say in fairness, um, the Trump administration did have a few positive actions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just briefly, uh, Trump signed the Preventing Animal Cruelty and Torture Act into law. So if you remember, and when we talked a lot about this and blogs throughout the the last year. It was, yeah, it was a big deal. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a federal ban against malicious uh, cruelty and torture. So that was great that he signed that. USDA, they strengthened a few dog care standards and licensing requirements. Uh, the Department of Transportation, uh, they prohibited airlines from banning specific dog breeds as service animals. So very important. Yeah. And then a big one is that the EPA administrator called on the agency to reduce and eventually eliminate all animal testing on mammals for assessing chemicals and pesticides. So that's hugely important. Mm. But (laughs) for the most part, we spent our time uh, fighting rollbacks of protections. So it was a really difficult and frustrating for years. And let me just give you one quick example. So we realized that dark days were ahead for animals one month into the Trump administration. And again, this was one where we did a lot of blogs on it, but USDA took down a web page that identified animal welfare violator mm-hmm. actions yeah. month into the administration. And this was a hugely important resource yeah. for humane society. And without any public discussion, it was just gone. So we realized at that moment that transparency was not going to be a priority, but protecting animal welfare violators was. Mm. It wasn't until Congress told them to repost those records that they did it. Well, speaking of the first month, uh, let's extend it to the first 100 days. You hear a lot about what the administration will do in the first 100 days. And with this new chapter, what are you hopeful this new administration is going to tackle in the first 100 days, Uh, Keisha? Well, I think, you know, on the first day in office, he, President Biden signed a slew of executive actions that kind of were a preview to what's to come, right? Um, the one I want to highlight is one that it talks about the environment um, and regulatory review, making sure that anything that was issued in the past four years is science-based. Um, it includes our priorities 
for as a nation on environmental um, priorities and climate change. And so this is an opportunity for a lot of our rollbacks, as Tracy was talking about, um, to be re-examined. So we're excited to see that. Um, it includes priorities like the delisting of gray wolves, which if um, most people I'm sure have heard about at this point, and as well as there was a rule um, that allowed cruel hunting practices um, like bear baiting in Alaska on national wild or on, on National Park Service lands. And so they've already signaled that they're going to start looking at some of those, those rules to ensure that they are actually based on sound science. And so we're hopeful that we'll see them tackle those in the first hundred days. Um, but in addition to what we saw on, on day one in office, uh, we have a number of other priorities um, that are kind of holdovers from the Obama administration. There's two rules that come to, to mind really. Um, one is the horse soaring rule. Mm. It would um, end horse soaring, which is the, the horrible practice of um, inflicting pain on Tennessee walking horses or other breeds to, in order to get the horses to have a, a higher gant when they, they walk in these shows. Um, and then the second one is a USDA rule on national organics. Um, so it would provide animal welfare standards, um, better animal welfare standards for for um, organic farmers. Um, and so those are some of the things that we're hoping and have been pushing the Biden team to, to look at and to actually reinstate or reissue within the first 100 days. Um, and there are two other priorities that the Biden team on the campaign trail talked about that we're also hopeful we'll see something on. And that includes trophy hunting of ESA listed species and stopping the imports of those trophies. And the second one is um, chicken line speeds and, and there's these, these waivers that allow um, slaughterhouses to, to kill more birds um, at a quicker, quicker rate. So we're hopeful um, mm -hmm. that more good things are coming in these first hundred days. That's great. Yeah. And as, as you know, it, speaking of the first hundred days, I mean, have you guys been watching, I assume, as, as kind of Biden-Harris have made their cabinet picks? I assume that some of those are really relevant for the work you guys do. Are there some that you're excited about, worried about, looking at? Yeah, so there's two that I think are, um, you know, exciting for us. The first is Representative Deb Holland. She's a Democrat from New Mexico. Um, she is really great on all of our issues. Um, if you, the HSLF puts out a scorecard and she has a hundred plus on our, on our scorecard for wow. being on our priority bills. Yeah. Um, she sits on House Natural Resources. She's the chair of the Public Lands um, Subcommittee. And so she's well-versed in trophy hunting, ESA regulations, um, BLM's Wild Horse and Burrow Program. So it will be great to see what she can accomplish um, once confirmed. And then the second person would be Tom Vilsack, which is probably a name that's pretty familiar to folks. He was the Secretary of Agriculture under Obama as well, and he's um, the nominee for USDA again. Um, he, under Obama, did do some, some great things for animals, um, including a regulation on puppies being sold on the, the internet and, and making that harder, as well mm. as um, uh, regulation that Tracy mentioned before on downer, downer cows. So I think, you know, he has the opportunity to hit the ground, ground running. He was there when the horse soaring rule and the organics rule mm -hmm. um, were being put together. And we really are hopeful that he will, will seize upon the opportunity to do good things off the bat for animals.
Yeah, so it, it sounds like the folks who are kind of in these high-level cabinet positions obviously can sort of set a tone for the, the department underneath them. I mean, have you guys seen cases of that in the past where a cabinet post really, you know, had huge results that you could see play out? Well, yeah, just to explain a little bit, because I think that's a really good question. Uh, President Biden's picks to head these different federal agencies, they're responsible for overseeing the day-to-day enforcement and implementation of the laws within their jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. It's a really important role because it includes developing new rules and policies to address problems that arise. And that's when we're coming in to talk to them about these problems. So just to give you an example, and Keisha just touched on it, When the original rules were established to regulate dog dealers, it didn't include dealers that sell over the internet because the internet wasn't invented then. (laughs) So once we learned that puppy mills were taking advantage of the loophole and selling large numbers of puppies over the internet with no USDA oversight of the care, we pointed out that gap in the regulation And the good news was USDA fixed it. So yes, political appointees, they have significant power to help animals. And going from political appointees all the way to the top, we now have a rescue companion animal in the White House. Um, The President First Lady adopted the German Shepherd Major. So do you think this is going to have an impact on support uh, and engagement for for animal welfare laws and other types of legislation that you're trying to push for? Well, let me just start by saying we're super excited that we have companion animals back in the White House. So not only do the Bidens have major, but they also have champ and rumor on the street is potentially a cat is coming. So that's exciting. Oh. Um, And I think that, you know, it's, it is, Trump was the first president in a long, long line, I think dating back to the 1860s since we didn't have a pet in there. So it's exciting to have, have folks um, heading back with pets. I um, hope they do get a cat because that sort of backs up Biden's whole call for unity thing. If we could put oh a, my a cat that's bipartisan <laughs> cat and dog White House, that'll be great. Uh, that would be great. Um, so I, I mean, I think the thing that's most exciting about having a dog um, or dogs and potentially a cat back in the White House is the fact that like there's so much momentum around it, right? You had mm. the Delaware Humane society where I believe um, there where major was adopted from um, had an inauguration. inauguration. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I mean, I think there's just a lot of momentum and hope surrounding the dogs head into the White House. And so I hope that that brings um, a lot of, you know, awareness to pet adoptions as well. That's so great. just out of curiosity, the the dog the dogs make me think of the issue around dog years. Like, you know, in terms of how time time tends to flow, how do dog years compared with legislative years? Like, in terms of like getting things accomplished in government, like, is it something that things can happen really really fast, or is this sort of are the things that you guys are dealing with the sort of things that really you're slogging on year after year, and then suddenly it moves, or is it really varied? It can definitely vary based on the the circumstances, but they do take a long time and maybe to bring it back to the agency world. A lot of our work deals with rulemakings. And I know there's a lot of questions about uh, that issue with the public. So when an agency engages in rulemaking, it can take anywhere from two to four years Mm -hmm. to 
process. And I know a lot of people think that's a really long time, but it can take longer and it can be shorter, but that's like a rough, you know, an average, but the agency has to follow a legal process and that's why it can take so long. So they have to provide notice of the rule and they have to allow the public to submit comments. And mm. we, we do reach out to the public frequently to, uh, to help with that. And then the agency responds to the comments and then they publish the text of the final rule. And it's just really important to note that frequently the final rule will contain changes based on the public's comments. So those mm. comments are just crucial. Uh, we need to show support for our issues and that it's not just a few people that care. So it's not a short process, but it's a really important one. And it's just a big part of what we do when we work with federal agencies to establish new protections for animals. Yeah, it's democracy at work. It's slow, but it works. It works. <laughs> it does. It works. That's, and I'm, I'm really glad that you pointed out how important, you know, public opinion and public uh, consultation and a lot of this legislation is important because the the really big question is, as a listener, how can I, how can people make their voices heard with the administration themselves? I know that, you know, Tracy, you mentioned the the humane scorecard, you know, keeping your public servants accountable, but, um, you know, are there other ways that we can really keep things moving and keep things in check? Austin, there's a couple great ways for our supporters to get involved. Um, and the first one is signing up for the HSUS and HSLF blogs. And this isn't just me pitching the blogs, so please sign up. Um, <laughs> at the end of most of the blogs dealing with um, our regulatory space, we have alerts and ways that you can, as Tracy pointed out, submit comments on, um, you know, in favor of or against, if they're bad regulations, um, animal welfare priorities. And so please do sign up there. Please do submit comments. Um, the second thing is our district leader program. I'm going to put a plug in here as well. It's a great way if you want to be able to do something more than just submit the comments um, to figure out different avenues that you can be following, whether it be calling days to the White House that we may be participating in or social media pushes, but it also gives you an opportunity to see um, how the regulatory process and legislative process you know, kind of collide and how we need help on both. So you'll get updates on both through the district leader program. So if someone wanted to get involved in the district leader program, like how would they go about doing that? So the easiest thing to do is actually go to humanesociety.org and just type in district leader and up will pop a link that you can put in all your information and get connected. Fantastic. So Tracy and Keisha are, as we look forward to this new administration and towards the future, what are you both looking forward to in the work that is coming up? Well, looking first at the Biden administration, uh, we're excited about the potential opportunities. There's a, a very high bar that we have for the Biden administration because with the Obama administration, we worked with them on 47 federal actions to help animals. And that's a lot in the regulatory world because as I mentioned, the process takes so long. Um, and just in comparison with the Trump administration, there was only a handful uh, that got accomplished. So you see the, the big difference. So it's a long list, as Keisha mentioned, <laughs> that we have to work with the Biden administration. But his background, as I mentioned, is consistently supportive of animal issues. And we're very hopeful. 
and Keisha? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that we haven't touched upon that's important to keep in mind and talking about, like, how are we moving forward with animal welfare issues on the federal level is that not only do we have, like, this great sense of hope that the Biden administration is going to do more, but we also have a sense that Congress has the opportunity to help with some of the rollbacks that are needed on Trump era regulations. So, for instance, there's this law called the Congressional Review Act that allows um, Congress to overturn regulatory actions taken at the last part of this by the Trump administration. Um, and so, you know, I, we're having conversations and people may have seen in, in the media too, you know, a lot of people are throwing the CRA around as a, a tool to be able to roll back some of the Trump era regulations. But more importantly, I think Congress also has the opportunity, like we saw last Congress, to influence um, this administration on, on things that they want to see done, whether that be last, last Congress, we saw bills on the ESA rollbacks and striking out against those. We saw bills on um, chicken line speeds and, and trying to influence the administration on that issue. So it's just a really exciting time to have a new administration, a new Congress, um, and hopefully this means good things for animals. Tracy Letterman, Vice President of Federal Affairs, and Keisha Sedlicek, Director of Regular, Regulatory Affairs at the Humane Society Legislative Fund. Thank you both for sitting down to chat with us. And, and good luck. Yeah, really <laughs> exciting. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we have for today's show. And to find out more about how the political process helps to protect animals, you know where to find us, humanesociety.org. Thank you and so hslf.org. hslf.org. <laughs> Got to plug it. Thank you so much for tuning in and uh, see you all next time on Humane Voices. Humane Voices.